Greetings, dear listeners, grace and peace to you. Thanks for taking some time to listen to our SOMA Northwest podcast. We are a church that seeks to practice the way of Jesus for the life of the world. And in lieu of our uh, Sunday gatherings and not having um, the opportunities to preach and teach what we have been doing since we entered our quarantine period of time. We have been getting together on Saturday mornings and we've uh, been talking about and discussing what we would have been preaching about on Sunday morning. And we've gotten a lot of good feedback over this format and we hope that it continues to be an encouragement to you as we dig into the scriptures, as we talk about our own experiences, as we try to land um, some good, timely applications for each of us in this time and in this place. Uh, I'm joined by Pastor Nate this morning. Pastor Nate, good to see you. Hey, good to be here. And I am Pastor Bobby. I don't think I mentioned that. Again, thanks for listening. Pastor Andrew is out this morning. Um, And we are in the middle of a series looking at the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, and the person of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit in uh, the life of the church and in the world. And last week, we um, spent some time uh, looking and, and shaping an overview of the spiritual gifts. And here over the, starting today, over the next few weeks, we are going to dig into some specific gifts, but I think it's important for us to go back to something that we talked about last week, and that is the purpose of the gifts. And a lot of times we can, uh, we can center the gifts on ourselves, our individual selves, um, that this is my gift and this is how I serve, and we can make it a very self-centered thing. But Pastor Nate, can you... Uh, just refresh us about the purpose of spiritual gifts and why they're not just an individual thing, but uh, they should be seen in the light of the church as as a whole. Yeah, I I think it's because, as we've talked about in previous weeks, that's the nature of spiritual gifts, right? Like, we've gotten into this habit of believing the gifts are this thing in a box that, you know, God gives me this box, like a present, and I open it up, and inside is the static gift you know it's like a set of dish towels or something (laughs) when in reality what he's giving us is a portion of his love through his spirit to bless and encourage the church and the world and that's true of all spiritual gifts they are manifestations of god's grace to the world so whether we're talking about your ability to serve or encourage somebody whether you're talking about a miracle that God works through you, a legitimate, like, wow, somebody's healed. Like what we've seen in our own body, right? With it, with um, SJ Coyle just a few months ago, where there's legitimate miraculous healing or whether it's speaking in tongues, which is what we're going to talk about today or any other kind of miraculous prophetic or just helping kind of gift. They all serve the same purpose, which is to demonstrate God's love for the world. They are never about us. They are never about how cool and awesome we are. And uh, the 
for our own our, our own glory or making us look cool. They're to make God look amazing, and they're to help people feel loved by God. And as you mentioned, we are going to talk about the gift of tongues, um, or maybe more accurately translated, the gift of languages this morning. And there has probably not been a gift that has had more unhelpful teaching uh, applied to it than this particular gift. And I think as it specifically relates to what you just talked about, the purpose of the gifts being for the benefit and the building up of the church, um, much of the teaching about tongues has been shaped by human agendas, yeah. uh, has been, uh, the scriptures has been, have been interpreted around this particular gift because of um, people wanting to justify their own experiences or shoot down other folks' experiences. And um, so what we're gonna try to do here over the next few minutes is uh, really <laughs> try to figure out what is, what, what is clearly spelled out in the scriptures? Uh, what do we see from the scriptures? And then how do we begin to make sense of that in our context and in our particular church body? Um, and I just wanna say up front, the nature of tongues and interpretation isn't clearly spelled out in scriptures. There's not a lot of places that we can go to, to build out um, a, a clear picture of what the gift of tongues and the gift of interpretation uh, of tongues or what, what, what they're, um, uh, what they look like fully, fully formed. Um, but what is clear and, and in some of these passages that we're going to dig into, uh, hopefully you will see this is that the practice of tongues, how tongues is practiced specifically within the church gathering is clearly spelled out in scriptures. And I think that's something that a lot of folks, um, uh, both for and against tongues, miss out on. And so we're going to try to be faithful to that and just know that like, hey, we're going to have charity with each other. Uh, we're going to have grace with each other. Uh, Nate and I might even disagree in this conversation or come at this from a different place. But again, the purpose of this is not to stake out our own positions and and die on these hills but where can we find uh commonality and where can we find peace with brothers and sisters in christ again knowing and understanding that this gift as with all the other gifts are for building up the church of jesus christ and i think it's really important to point out at this juncture that if tongues have not been part of your experience in the in in church you may be wondering why we're talking about this at all. Like this may be like the, you may be like, this is the weirdest thing to possibly have a podcast about. If speaking in tongues has been a big part of your church experience, you're probably wondering why it's taken us so long to talk about this. And that division in with that exists within the church is one of the things that we want to kind of get at even today to understand. Like, I know some of you have like, have no idea what this even is and, think we shouldn't talk about it and other people think this is so central to my experience as a christian i don't know how these guys haven't talked about it yet um within that sort of tension i hope one of the things that we can take away 
is that even on topics that the scriptures aren't super clear about, even on topics that are culturally foreign to us, even on topics that are shrouded in 2,000 years in the past, and there's a lot that, that we don't necessarily have access to fully understand, that we take a consistent measured approach to trying to understand God's word, that we draw our practices and our prohibitions directly from the word of God, that we don't go beyond what God's word said. As one of, as one of my mentors used to say, where the word of God is clear, be clear, where it's vague, be vague. And what we've seen in the history of the church is that honestly, both for for groups that would insist that if you don't speak in tongues, you're not even a Christian, and groups that were trying to teach against that false doctrine, uh, they both sides used the scriptures inconsistently, uh, dishonestly, uh, and in ways that were out of step with the way the church has understood God's word for 2,000 years. And we're not going to be like that. <laughs> that's not how we should be. And that's, that's a bigger truth that I think we can all take away from this process. So even as we're talking about this today, let's keep in mind and let's pay attention to how we're using God's word, how we're trying to examine it, how seriously we take it, that uh, we're going to do what it says, even when it seems uncomfortable or weird, but also we're not going to make it say things it doesn't say because it suits us in the present moment. And I think that is something that regardless of your position on any topic, but especially tongues, I hope that you can take that away as an encouragement and as an instruction for the rest of your life. Oh, I got to let God's word say what it says, and I have to adjust to it. I can't bend it to make it look the way I want, even if I'm doing it to, quote unquote, combat a false doctrine. That's fine, but you still got to build the true doctrine on the word of God and not just on what you wish it said, because it would make it a lot easier for you to win an argument. It's important for us uh, here as we begin this conversation, I think to even just start with our own experiences yeah. um, with uh, the gift of tongues and interpretation. Um, I don't know about you, Nate, but I, I have never spoken in tongues. Um, I have, uh, whether we'll get into the differences between these things. I've never spoken in tongues privately in, in prayer. I've never spoken in tongues in a public setting. Uh, I've never interpreted tongues or been able to um, uh, 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 explain what someone else speaking in tongues means. Um, I did not grow up in a church community where tongues were practiced. In fact, I grew up in a church community that did not believe that the gift of tongues and, and, and even the gift of prophecy and, and knowledge and some of these other uh, sign, miraculous, uh, prophetic gifts, what, however you want to categorize those, I uh, did not believe that those were still active today or those gifts were still given today. Uh, people who spoke in tongues um, were viewed with great skepticism. Um, and so honestly, I have never, um, I've never had an experience with tongues. And so I think I fall into that category, honestly, that you were just talking about, 
of uh, this has not been a part of my relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not been a part of my relationship with the body of Jesus Christ. And so um, I've had a hard time figuring out what do I do with this? And now that I'm a pastor and, and uh, am responsible for teaching people and leading people, uh, this has been something that I'm like, wow, I got, I got nothing to draw from. I have no context. But what, what's been your experience? So I grew up probably in a similar kind of setting. I don't think uh, our growing up, we, you would have called us sort of formal cessationists. I think they were more practical ones. In other words, I, I think they would say doctrinally they, they, didn't, they couldn't come up with a good reason why these things couldn't happen, but they didn't happen. So that was more or less everyone's reality. I've had two experiences in my life that I think, that I think are relevant to this. Others may dispute whether they even whether they would consider them the gift of tongues or not. But to your earlier statement that the word tongues in the New Testament really refers to languages, I've had two times in my life where I felt like my own linguistic capability to communicate was supernaturally enhanced by God's spirit. So when I was in college, we, I did an internship in Argentina and I spent um, probably, oh, I don't know, six, seven, eight weeks working with um, college students and just, you know, doing some evangelism in the neighborhood. And <clears throat> myself and another young man were, who was, you know, didn't speak a lot of Spanish, were sharing the gospel with a kid that we'd been playing ping pong with every day for like a week. And starting to get into <coughs> some of the issues of his life and my Spanish was rough man like you know it was really much like yo hablo espanol you know like it was bad but during that time I was able to clearly articulate the tr truths about Jesus this young man came and, and ended up praying to receive Christ and there was a there was an Argentine there who later was just like, man, I've never heard you speak like that. He's like, I can't even believe how good your Spanish. Like, I, that was completely it was a completely intelligible expression of the gospel um, when I you know normally spoke like a five year old. And I would look at that and say, the Holy Spirit was working in me to share the love of God in a foreign language with another person, and. If that's not the gift of languages, then I'm not really sure what is. And I've had that experience another time. Uh, this was um, many years later, even after I had been in Argentina for a really long time. Uh, I had a night where I had been working with this guy, teaching him to read. Um, this was an adult for for you know a long time, and I at this time I was very fluent in Spanish. But I had had this horrible, horrible day, like you couldn't even imagine. And I had to go over to this guy's house at 11 at night to start doing English tutoring. And he had a friend show up. And this friend was overtly hostile to me because I was an American, because I was a Christian. And he kind of started in on me. And we, we had this like one of these like epic all night debates about theology and the nature of the world, right? in Spanish at like two in the morning and I'm laying out for him the history of Abraham. Like we're going through the whole of everything. And um, my Spanish gets real sloppy when I'm tired. 
like real sloppy. And I could feel God sustaining me and I could feel my ability to communicate about abstract things that would normally be a struggle, even with some prep. Um, but just like off the cuff that night, it was like the full testing of everything I've ever learned about the scriptures and theology in my life, like in the, in this guy's shack at three in the morning in Spanish. And I could feel the spirit of God carrying me along, putting words in my mouth. And those words were in, in a language that wasn't my native language. Now, granted, it was a language with which I had some facility, but that was that was an un that was an unforgettable experience to me. So those are experiences that I have had. Now, those are really different experiences, and I've heard other missionaries share similar kinds of stories. Um, and you know, I think there's some folks that would debate whether that's speaking in tongues or not. I think when you when you look at the words that are used in the New Testament. I consider those as examples of um, the Holy Spirit using a glossa, a language, in order to communicate grace and love to people. And in this case, they were specifically to unbelievers for the purpose of evangelism. So that's my, that's my personal experience with tongues. And for those of you who may have never had the opportunity to go overseas and to um, connect with people and to do missions work in a different culture, in a different context. Um, let me just tell you the amount of spiritual conversations that come out of playing ping pong with somebody <laughs> for an extended <laughs> period of time. I mean, I'm pretty sure they, they this is they teach this in miss, missiological studies. <laughs> ping pong saved a lot missions. of souls. Yes, it really has. It has uh, the gift of ping pong. Uh, should have been included in some of these New Testament passages. But yeah, Nate, I think that that, that is a good point. And, and um, that leads us into our, I think our first, uh, our first question is, here is, wh where do we see the gift of tongues, the gift of languages in the scriptures? And probably the, uh, the first place that, that a lot of people will be familiar with is the Acts chapter 2. We see the day of Pentecost, that um, the Holy Spirit comes and, and falls on the apostles, and, and they begin to speak in other languages, and others hear these, um, uh, the, the, the wonders of God declared in their own languages, Jews from all over the world had gathered in Jerusalem, uh, that they were, you know, uh, culturally Jewish. Some of them were, were uh, they were ethnically Jewish, but they spoke a bunch of different languages from all over the, the, the world at that point. And so they, they're in Jerusalem, this, this festival, and all of a sudden they hear a bunch of these guys and a bunch of these men uh, begin to speak in, in, all kinds of different languages that weren't their uh, native languages. And then they, these Jews who were there, they hear the wonders of God uh, uh, in their own languages. And it's this amazing thing and everybody's mind is blown. Where, where else do we see the gift of tongues and the gift of languages, Nate? 
Well, I want to go back to that passage first real quick, because I know that there are some folks that would take that passage and then immediately begin to say, well, this wasn't a gift of tongues. This was really a gift of hearing or, or to somehow begin to disconnect Acts 2 from all the other accounts of tongues. And I think that that is being disingenuous with the scriptures. I think it's really clear that whatever's going on in Acts 2, it is meant to be foundational to our understanding of every other time tongues happens. Like, I think it is a very visible, in the moment, like, whoa, this is a new thing. This is an expression of God's spirit that is never, that, that is unprecedented in scriptures. And we should take that very seriously and not seek to disconnect it from all the other uses of tongues. I think people have reasons for doing that. And again, going back to that whole desire to be, let's take God's word seriously and let's let it say what it says and not try to shoehorn our own ideas into it. So Acts 2 is the first one. Uh, We see it again in Acts 10 and Acts 19. Each one of these times, whether it was Cornelius uh, receiving uh, the spirit, which represents Gentiles for the first time receiving the spirit of God in Acts 19. It's this group of disciples who are John, uh, disciples of John who had never heard of the Holy spirit who, uh, receive, uh, the spirit and start speaking in tongues. In both of those kinds of occurrences in acts, you're seeing the first time that a people group, not an individual, because there's plenty of times individuals have had received like with the Ethiopian eunuch, right? We don't see the Ethiopian eunuch receive God, be baptized, and start speaking in tongues. But these are sort of groups of people, and as these groups receive the Spirit for the first time, one of the signs, one of the the evidences that God's Spirit has come to a new group of people is this action of them speaking in, uh, in different languages. Right, we and we say tongues. Tongues comes because in Acts, the the spirit looked like it came on them with like tongues of fire. Right, but what was really happening is they were speaking in languages that they didn't know or they that we don't know them to have known. Although keep in mind, most folks would have spoken three or four languages, sort of as a matter of course, at least parts of them. But people were hearing them in all kinds of different languages. So again when people would receive the spirit of God, languages, new languages would just start spilling out of them. Uh, And that was a sign that God was at work and that they had the spirit of God. Yeah. And, and I think that this, this gets into our, um, the the discussion about the purpose of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Um, And, you know, one of the uh, the clearest passages of Scripture is First Corinthians fourteen, um, and what we need to understand is that this is a completely different context uh, into which Paul is speaking than what we just talked about yeah. in the Book of Acts. What we see in the Book of Acts, and and we can get into this. I think a lot of opponents of the sign gifts uh, being evident today will point to the fact that, well, Acts is this book where a lot of new things are happening, 
Yep. And a lot of transitional things are happening in the church of God and how, where God is, is working and the people groups that he's moving to. We'll get into that in a second, but I do think it's important for us to, to mark out the differences that what's happening in the book of Acts um, is a completely different context than what is happening in 1 Corinthians 14. And so when we try to take what, what we're going to look at here in a second in 1 Corinthians 14 and lay that over the experiences of the book of Acts, um, we're going to run into some issues. But if we understand, hey, this is the same thing that's going on here, it's just manifesting itself in two different contexts that helps us to see um, and, and be a little bit more clear that the Bible is not contradicting itself, it's not trying to intentionally no. be vague. The Acts is describing things that happen, and Paul is giving instructions on how worship gatherings amongst believers should be conducted. Yeah, and I think to give folks a little bit of background, because we've kind of talked around this, but just for those that aren't really familiar with church history in the last 100 plus years, um, there were theological movements that sprung up at the beginning of the last, uh, the beginning of the 20th century that basically would teach, and they would teach largely using those passages in Acts, that a sign of having the Holy Spirit, which based on everything we've talked about in previous weeks, is a sign that you are a believer, that you know Jesus Christ, that you are going to heaven, you know, when, that you uh, have eternal life, that a sign of being a believer, a necessary, an inescapable sign is speaking in tongues. And they would teach that if you have not spoken in tongues, that you need to receive a second baptism of the Holy Spirit that uh, you need uh, to to have this sort of visceral linguistic experience. Otherwise, your salvation is in question. Your status before God is in question. You don't really have all of God you could have. And, and listen, I'm going to be real blunt. That teaching is a lie. It is not supported by Scripture. It is absolutely contradictory to every sense of good doctrine. In order to combat that teaching, because that teaching is so false and so hurtful and so destructive and demonic, I can't speak strongly enough to how demonic it is to say that if you have not had the experience of speaking in tongues, you're not a real Christian. That is a demonic doctrine. And Paul says in Galatians, if anyone preaches to you any gospel other than the one we did, let him you know, let him be eternally condemned. <laughs> that is a false gospel. So in an effort to combat a false gospel, folks came up with all sorts of explanations for why we don't need to take Acts seriously <laughs> or why what they were doing in Acts somehow was different than what they were doing in Corinth. And I think that that is a bad strategy to, to combat a false doctrine. I think we can be real honest that Acts is what it is and it says what it says that those were real legitimate experiences, that the Holy Spirit came upon people in power, that they spoke in tongues, and that there is every reason, linguistically and otherwise, to believe that 1 Corinthians is talking about the same Spirit of God and a similar kind of experience just played out in a different context. So there's a reason why we have to talk about it this way. Not everybody may have had that context. So I want to supply that. If you've come from uh, certain traditions 
you'll know certain Pentecostal traditions, you'll, you'll know that there's folks that will teach that way. Um, I'm not saying that all Pentecostal churches teach that way. Many, many do not anymore. But there are still some that will teach about second baptism of the Spirit or teach that speaking in tongues is a, the only clear manifestation that you have received Jesus Christ. And uh, that's just not true. And if you've received that teaching before, I want you to hear us as your pastors condemn that categorically because it is not a scriptural belief. Yeah, that's good. Um, I mentioned at the beginning of this that, you know, one of the things that the scriptures isn't necessarily clear on um, is the nature of tongues. Um, yeah. You know, the, again, the, the Greek word that is translated in our Bible, tongues, is the word glossa, which is languages. Um, early Christians, probably, they, would have been, they would not have necessarily understood the gift of tongues, per se. Uh, they would have read it probably more accurately as the gift of languages. Um, so, but I think, you know, for a lot of us who come from traditions where um, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues was not something that was, was common uh, or even present at all. Uh, we all had these images, um, whether we watched them on the internet or yeah. we visited a friend's church in high school or something, um, where tongues looks like this ecstatic loss of control experience where somebody's babbling incoherently and, and all kinds of stuff. It seems like what, and, and Nate, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but it seems like that what we're, what we're dealing with here, uh, as the scripture lays it out, is that, you know, tongues, going back to your experience in Argentina, is a spirit-empowered capacity to speak a language that's maybe unknown to the speaker or hear words that are in your own language from someone who doesn't speak your language. But also there seems to be maybe some evidence that it is a spirit empowered capacity to speak words only God can understand. Yeah. Um, and so we see that there is some- Which some, we know the spirit of God expresses our hearts in groanings that we can't understand. Right, right, like, right. Romans so chapter eight. Yes. There, that could, it's, it's not entirely clear, but that very well could be connected to this, right? That, yes. that the spirit is expressing things that are in our hearts. It's not that they're totally foreign to us. It's not like a possession, you know, like the exorcist kind of thing where the spirit's like pulling out, but instead it would be the spirit expressing things in our hearts too deep for us to get our minds around and listen, we've all been there where we, we, you feel things so deeply, you can't even get them out. And, and that, then that very well, that very well could be uh, an expression of the spirit communicating things that are just too deep inside of you. Yeah. I, I think that that is a reasonable way of looking at the, the text, not sure, right. not a hundred percent for sure, but I think it's very reasonable. Yes. Yes, definitely. And so, so my point in that is to say that all the evidence from Scripture suggests that speaking in tongues isn't an ecstatic loss of control experience. Yeah. And that's uh, really – know... yeah. I was going to say that's important to point out because that kind of thing uh, – when we say ecstatic loss of control experience, it's just like – 
just babbling, hissing, like you're, you know, this exorcist kind of thing that, and listen, if you've had that experience, I'm not going to comment on your experience other than to say that experience is common across a lot of religions, right? Like a lot of different religions have this kind of ecstatic speech where someone's talking, it's all just babbling, unintelligible sounds, and the person seems like they're out of control. That is not unique to Christianity. And the fact that that may have happened to someone or you may have witnessed that is not necessarily a sign of the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying it's, I don't know what you saw or what you participated in, but this is a thing that exists in the world in other religious contexts as well. So its existence doesn't validate it as necessarily being from God. Just just putting that out there because that's, that's an important thing as we're trying to be honest about this. We can't just hold up someone's personal experience and say, this is valid. <laughs> I know this. I know this because someone experienced it. That we got to be a little bit better than that. Right. And, and so, so what we're getting at here is uh, at, at, a, at, a, at the very least, when the scriptures talk about the experience of tongues um, and the gift of of tongues it's probably talking about an actual language based on the word itself that is used uh, and you know what we see in in acts chapter two and in other places um and it could be a spiritual language um you know paul says in first corinthians 14 uh two talks about you know uttering mysteries by the spirit uh romans chapter eight now the the spirit groans and and um, as, as Nate referred to, and then you know some people have even connected it to you know Paul's use of the phrase the tongue of angels in First yeah. Corinthians thirteen yeah. one. I think so, that's valid. Yeah, so so that's kind of what we're talking about here. So um, it, there seems to be two two classifications for, or excuse me, two purposes of tongues and interpretation of tongues. Uh, the first we see uh, in and what we have talked about in um, in Acts two is tongues being a sign, uh, being uh, a, a minister, a ministry to unbelievers, mm-hmm. um, and then we see the gift of tongues for edification. Um, and so we're going to spend the next few minutes digging into that and let's, let's just continue on since we've already talked about this, uh, uh, tongues as a sign for unbelievers. And what I'm referring to, um, is first Corinthians chapter 14. Um, and Paul, uh, begins, uh, in verse 20 by saying, brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children in regard to evil, but be infant in regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law, it is written with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues then are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. Yeah, I want to talk a second about this because I think that this is really the key. I think this verse is a linchpin to understand everything else we're going to understand. Because what gets confusing to people is then Paul describes a situation in the church in which unbelievers are 
confused by tongues, but uh, fall on their knees and worship God because of prophecy. And that seems counterintuitive to what he just said. Well, if tongues are for unbelievers, why are unbelievers so turned off when they're practiced within the church? And I think the point Paul's getting at is that is the church using a gift that's primarily for a different purpose and using it in an out-of-control way inside a church gathering. So if you are in the streets, if you are evangelizing people, if you are with unbelievers and God is having you speak in different languages that are unbelievers are seeing it and hearing the gospel, that is the correct context to use that gift. Therefore, people can respond to it. But however, if people come to a gathering of believers and they're not a believer and they're like, huh, I'm going to check this out. I want to see what these people are like. And you get in there and everybody's talking crazy. Everybody's making noises and it's chaotic. You're going to be like, these people are nuts because the gift that was meant to proclaim the gospel to you in a different context is being used incorrectly. And even though it's meant for unbelievers, the unbeliever is not going to receive it. However, prophecy, which we'll talk about next week, prophecy, the proclamation of God's word, and the application of God's word to people's lives, you don't go out into the world and prophesy. You don't, I mean, this is what Jesus calls throwing your pearls before swine, right? You don't go out to the world and be like, y'all are sinners. Because that's not, you know, that's not the, the point of prophecy isn't to direct it at the world. It's a big, big turnoff and it's not effective. When we use prophecy in the church, if that same unbeliever comes into the church and it's like, hey, church, we got to be working hard. We got to not be stealing. We got to not be lazy. We got to, you know, basically taking these things about cleaning up our own act. <laughs> and in the church, we're prophesying and we're saying, hey, let's take God's word and hold ourselves accountable to it. They're going to be like, oh my gosh, these people are serious. And we've had people tell, I've had people tell me that about Soma Northwest, where we talk about um, our own shortcomings and our own failings all the time. And we say, like, I'm not, we're not going to worry about what the world does. We have to look at our own house, clean up our own messes, deal with our own stuff. That is very attractive to unbelievers because they see the church not being hypocritical. They see the church applying prophecy in the right context, and uh, that convinces them like, wow, God's at work with these people. But it's an example of the gifts being used in the right context. If you use the gifts in the right context, they will always be attractive to unbelievers. And the right context for tongues is not in your prayer closet. The right context for tongues is not necessarily on Sunday morning in an unrestrained way. The right context for tongues is out in the world with unbelievers. So, when we, yeah, and it gets tricky because um, what we're trained to believe is going back, even even for those of us who weren't brought up in a charismatic and a Pentecostal tradition, we're still kind of trained to believe that this gift of tongues um, is, is particularly about me and, and other believers. And it's hard for us to think about, um, to think about that, those two different contexts. Um, and, and that's where we go astray. 
But so tongues as a sign for, for unbelievers, when it's done in the church, um, it, it, you know, people who are, who are not Christians, they don't receive revelation by God from it. They're, they're, they're not brought to faith because of it. Um, they're probably going to be driven away because of it. They're going to be pushed more and more into confusion. Confused um, and freaked out. Yeah, confused, freaked out. It, it does not. It does not bring about um, God's glory. It does not bring about uh, a greater understanding um, of the wonders of God. Though, when you know it's done outside of the church, um, it can it can happen. And again, I want to keep going back to this over and over and over again. Uh, this gift is given by the spirit. Yeah. So the, ton- the t- this, this is not in the way, even I think sometimes in the way that we are talking about tongues, it can be misconstrued that this is something that we just do. Right. That believers do that, that it's something that is on us. It's our responsibility. This is given to us by the spirit as the spirit wills. Which is why Paul says, don't forbid it. <laughs> right? Paul expressly says, don't forbid speaking in tongues. And while, you know, we've been uh, critiquing certain uses of speaking in tongues sort of from sideways here this morning, no one should hear us in any way for forbidding the act of speaking in tongues. Paul expressly says we're not to do that. Um, but again, it's not like the Spirit gave us a box and in the box was the gift of tongues and then we just get to use that like it's a waffle iron whenever we want you know i'm gonna make some waffles with this waffle iron the spirit gave me i'm gonna speak in tongues with this gift of tongues the spirit gave me and i can just do that on a random any random old time that i want to that's not the way spiritual gifts work right going back to what we said last week it's an empowerment of the spirit to express grace so the Paul does lay out how tongues can be used in a church setting, how the Spirit could empower somebody to speak in tongues in coordination with a second gift that will be edifying to the body, that will help people feel grace and love, that uh, will represent his empowerment. And, and I think it's important to point that out as well. If we ever end up writing a book on the gift of tongues, we can entitle it The Waffle Iron of the Spirit. <laughs> so Paul says at the beginning of, of 1 Corinthians 14, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They are utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and co- encouraging and comfort. Um, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Mm-hmm. So what we see in this passage is that the, uh, the other purpose of tongues is for edification. Yeah. Um, and Paul says that very clearly that when we speak in tongues, we're not speaking to other people, we're speaking to God. Yeah, edify praying means, to God. Edify means to build up, right? Yes, yes, to build up um, ourselves. Uh, and and again, there's no recrimination for that. This is not Paul's not being pe- pe- pejorative in this. Um, 
edification, the building up of one's own spirit is good. It's a good thing. It's an important thing. It's a necessary thing. And we do that here. He lays out that when we speak in tongues to God and not people, we're, we're praying, we're praising, we're giving thanks, um, we're declaring what is true about God, we're speaking these things to God, and, and that edifies the individual. Um, and unless there is someone, but Paul's very clear, unless there is someone to interpret or to explain uh, what these utterances are, what this language is that we are speaking to God, then it is to be kept for the individual, between that individual and God. So explain that, Nate. What does that look like, and, and what's the purpose of that? So, so just think about it, right? We're sitting there on Sunday morning, and this, this happens to me a lot. You know, it, This is going to happen to a lot of people that are multilingual. Uh, we all have a heart language in which, in which we worship God. We have uh, usually it's our native language, but sometimes there'll be an idea that will strike me as uh, really beautiful in Spanish, right? And especially if I was a native Spanish speaker, I imagine this would happen all the time. And if I was like, man, I really want to encourage the church, or I, I really want to like start singing this thing in Spanish, I really want to like start speaking this thing in Spanish. And I stood up and I started, you know, saying, you know, uh, porque Dios tanto amó al mundo, and I start, you know, telling everybody all this stuff in Spanish, y'all would look at me like I was crazy, and it wouldn't help anybody. I would feel really excited. I would feel really great. And if I was out in the world with people who spoke that language, and God was empowering me to do it, it would make sense. But in that moment, I'm speaking mysteries. I'm just speaking. Nobody can understand me. It would be distracting. It would be confusing. It would be weird. But if someone stands up and says, I can interpret, and then I can explain myself in a language and someone else can interpret it, suddenly everybody's benefiting from that. Everybody's getting rich. rich everybody's uh, getting a wealth of information. Now, Spanish may be a bad example because we've all heard Spanish and it sounds intelligible. There are plenty of languages in the world that would not sound like intelligible speech to you, right? You can talk about what the clicking languages in Africa. I mean, there's plenty of languages out there that people could be speaking, and it would just sound like madness. And, and, I, and I think that that's a descriptor of what's, of what's happening here. You know, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference as to whether I was speaking in a real human language or whether I was speaking in some sort of heavenly language. To you, the hearer, it would be completely the same thing. It would just sound like utter gibberish. Yes. Paul, Paul again, is not being pejorative with no. this building up of one's own spirit. Um, and in your, your example of, of <clears throat> the spirit impressing something on you in a Spanish language that edifies your heart and builds up your heart. And, you know, even if we allow that these can also be a spiritual yeah. language um, that, you know, uh, that are words that only God understands, that's not this. Yeah, it's, know, the same, it's the same thing, it's right? The same, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. So Paul is not condemning the use of tongues. 
He's no. not condemning the gift of tongues. He's not condemning or, or throwing shade on the fact that tongues is an edification for the believer um, and, and their direct communication with God through the Holy Spirit. He says, um, I speak in tongues more than all of you. So. Right, right. His present concern in this passage is for public worship. Yes. And, and how tongues should be used. Because when you look at the context of 1 Corinthians, you will see that the Corinthians took the gift of tongues and elevated the gift of tongues yes. above all the other gifts. And so tongues was set up as this almost this, this special gift apart from the other gifts. This is one that is valued. This is one that is important. This is the one that really... Um, uh, yeah, confirms that God's spirit is here, that God loves us, that we are God's. <laughs> and Paul is saying, no, you're thinking like a child. Yeah. You're th you're, this is not mature thinking. He is correcting that and saying that if you want to speak in tongues because the spirit has given you that gift, then you do that. But in the public worship, this is tongue should only be used in love and for edification. And that means that tongues in a public gathering should always be interpreted. No questions asked. Yep. Period. Full stop. Yeah. So the problem is, the problem is that a lot of denominations and groups that practice tongues completely ignore <laughs> this passage. This very clear instruction. Like there's yes. a lot that's not clear. The one thing that is clear is that there always has to be an interpretation. Right. And again, interpretation, it's just like interpreting, interpreting another language. Yes. You take a language that the, that the group does not understand, is not their native language, and someone says, this is what this means in yes. our context. And you can think about up. how rich that would be, right? When you have immigrants in your church, when you have people from other countries in their church, if somebody shares in their native language, if you've ever had that experience and someone's there to interpret, it's beautiful. And, it, mm -hmm. and the fact that they are sharing any different language is actually enriching to the church, not just the words that they're saying that are being interpreted, but the combination of the interpretation plus the t plus hearing the tongue together, those two things together are really rich and they are really, really powerful because people are blessed by the fact that they're hearing a different language, but they're, they're able to understand it through the interpreter. That is a beautiful thing. And again, yeah. whether we're talking about human language or whether we're talking about spiritual language, I think that is an experience that a lot of believers have had. And when you think about it in that context, I think it makes a lot more sense and you're able to be like, oh, I can see how this would work. I can see how this would make sense. And especially it, it becomes it becomes an admonition to make sure that we are listening to people's voices. I know we have folks in our church that speak other languages as native languages. Well, that's important that they be allowed to have the spirit express himself in their native language and to give them space to not feel like they have to constantly translate into English, but be able to express themselves in a language, but with someone to help explain what it means. And what's important here is that we're not just talking about translation. Yes. What we're talking about is translation and 
explanation. Yes. And I've been on both sides of this where I have been in context where I have received just what you're talking about, someone, but I've also been in context where I was the one who was giving a word and having someone translate for me as I'm speaking to a group of Christians to build them up, to edify them. And what you see is that, and I've, you see that, that someone in that context is not just translating right. my English words into their language. It's not like Google Translate. Right, right. It is not. But there is, there is the spiritual component to it as well. Yes. There's the, the feeling and the mood and the explanation of deep spirit movings in a context that the hearers can understand. So it's not just them understanding the words, it's understanding how those words apply to their culture, their time, yes. their context. And I know you've experienced this too, Nate, is that we've, we've experienced people who can translate our words into English, but have a hard time getting across the meaning of what we're trying to convey to the hearers. And so, so I think that that's an important distinction to make, that it's more than just translation, yep. because a lot of people can translate from one yep. language to the other. Absolutely. It's taking that translation and the spirit using that translation, excuse me, allowing that translator to, uh, to reflect what the spirit is, is doing and the deep heart transformation work that which the is, spirit wants to use those words to do. Which is why the, um, which is why Paul encourages the person with the tongue, the person with this urge to speak in a different language to pray that they would be able to interpret it, right? The best interpreter of what's going on in my heart is me, you know, like that's the other thing, right? Is Paul's basically saying, you know, I want you to pray that you'll be able to find the words to explain this in a language that everybody can understand. So if you have this thing in your heart and it is in this other language, human or otherwise, that it's fine. If you want to express that, if I want to go off and give you a long, you know, say some sentences in Spanish because they're really meaningful to me, but then if I can follow that up and interpret it for you, then again, that's rich. That's beautiful. That's, that is creating space for the spirit of God to, to pour his love into a vessel that looks like me with my set of experiences, which include other languages, and use that to bless the church, that, that is consistent with the way spiritual gifts work in every other sense, right? Um, and that fits in the context of the church and everything else. So if you can't interpret the thing yourself, that's where someone else has to come along and interpret for you. Because, you know, maybe, yeah, you, maybe that's just not, you don't have the capability of doing it. But you should be praying that you would be the one that was able to interpret your own your own tongue. Yeah. And so what we're saying here is in answer to the question, are the gifts of tongues and interpretation of tongues still given and yes. still practiced? Are they still useful for yes. building up the body today? The, the answer is yes. Unequivocally, um, yes. Uh, I, I can see nothing from scripture that would indicate anything other than yes. Right. And again, Acts chapter two, uh, Peter quotes the prophecy from Joel uh, and in that prophecy, uh, he says that, you know, the, the understanding, the wonders of God in, in our own languages uh, would be present in the last days. And 
last I checked, we are still in the last days. Good Lord, um, if these aren't it, I... <laughs> we're in trouble. <laughs> we're in trouble. Paul told the Corinthians at the beginning of 1 Corinthians in chapter 1, verse 7, that they weren't lacking in any gift as they wait for the revealing of Jesus. We are still waiting for the revealing of Jesus, for Jesus to come. Now, Nate, let's let's take a moment because the the passage that is is most commonly pointed to by those who say yeah. that no, the gift of tongues are are not evident uh, today. They should not be sought out uh, today. That passage is First Corinthians thirteen, particularly verse eight. Yeah. And let me read that, and then I'd love to get your take on this. Yeah. So Paul writes in his passage, beautiful passage on love. He says, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Verse 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. Verse 10, but when completeness comes. um, The perfect. The perfect comes. What is in part? disappears or ceases so why is this a bad text or (laughs) well uh, why don't you read reaction against why why don't we read the just a little bit further on and i think it becomes a little more clear why there why you can't just stop with that verse and you got to read just just ever so slightly more if we read uh into verse nine uh Paul says, uh, for we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind, behind me. Now we see in a mirror dimly. Then we will see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So the argument that... Um, some of our conservative brothers in an effort to discredit speaking in tongues because of some of the false doctrines that we're teaching, the argument that they put forward was that the perfect or the complete in verse 10 means the scriptures that, and Paul kind of makes this point in general, that spiritual gifts, these, these miraculous sign gifts validated the messenger. So if you didn't have the complete scriptures in front of you and you wanted to know whether somebody was teaching truth or error and you couldn't go to God's word to see it, you would see these miraculous gifts and you would say, oh, well, God's clearly with this guy, not so much with that person. So that's how I'll know. And the argument is that when the scriptures were completed, we no longer needed sign gifts or miraculous gifts because we could go to the scriptures to validate teachers. The problem is the rest of the context of uh, 1 Corinthians 13 makes it clear that what the perfect is, is the one we will see face to face. Now we see in a mirror dimly, then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have fully known. It's not that the scriptures knew Paul fully. Jesus knows Paul fully. The scriptures aren't the face that Paul looks into. Jesus is the face that Paul looks into. So yes, there will be a day when there's no need for the gift of tongues. 
where there's no need for the gift of prophecy, where there's no need for the son, because Jesus will be there. That is the perfect. That is what we see face to face. That is what we are centered and focused on. Reading the canon of scripture end of first Corinthians 13, 10 is just bad. It's bad. It's bad Bible work. It doesn't make any sense. That would never have been the way that passage was read throughout the history of the church. It's just a really weak sauce attempt to validate a point of view. Um, and I get it. I get why people felt like they, there was pressure to, to discredit a really bad doctrine but you don't discredit really bad doctrine with more really bad doctrine. That's a good, that's a good maxim to live by. Um, and again, remember what Paul is, is Paul is, he is addressing a really bad interpretation of yeah. the gifts. Yeah. He's addressing a really bad. It's uh, the same take bad take. And, and Bobby, it's the same bad take that that uh was showing up in the first part of the last century right that tongues were more important than everything else isn't that what we said right paul's addressing yeah. that lie uh he's not addressing it by saying the canon's going to replace it he's re addressing it by saying jesus is going to replace it jesus is going to replace it and the and that tongues just because people have made tongues an outsized gift more than what it should be doesn't mean that we have to do away with it. And that's yes. Paul's whole point in, yes. in, in chapter 13 <laughs> yes. is that all of these things should be done in love. Yes. Like that should be the context where all of the gifts, including tongues and prophecy and knowledge and miracles and all of these things, they are not to be done to build up and to put a platform out for yep certain Christians to make them look more spiritual, to give them more reverence and more honor. They are all to be done for the good of the body as a whole and for um, others to experience the love of Jesus Christ in their life. There's nothing new under the sun. It's pretty clear that some people in Corinth, as a response to folks making tongues outsized, some folks' response was, well, we're going to forbid that. <laughs> which is exactly what the church did a hundred years ago and it carries forward to this day. It's not like we're coming up with new ways to goof this up. And that's why Paul says later, Hey, by the way, don't forbid this, <laughs> you know, like the solution to the problem is to put tongues in the proper context and use them in the proper way, any way that is loving because love is the dominant gift. Love is the thing, right? That's what we said. Manifestation of grace. Love is the point of all the gifts. So don't forbid it, but also don't elevate it. Keep it in the context of love. So I'm thinking about those of us um, who are listening to this, who have never spoken in tongues and uh, the gift of tongues, uh, the gift of the interpretation of tongues seems like some foreign just way off thing that um, they haven't ever experienced. What should be our attitude towards the gift of tongues and, and interpretation? Is this something that I should expect to experience in my life? And that if I don't experience it, it means I'm missing out on something? I think Paul makes it really clear that there are gifts that you should uh, 
try to pursue. And that's the greater gifts, love, faith, hope. So if God puts it in your path to speak in an unknown language, which he very well might, usually as a result of love, you start learning new languages, you start engaging with people from other cultures, man, you should totally do that. But the place to start, the thing to pursue, the thing to, to, to chase after is how to love people better. And on the way, God may empower you to speak in a language, heavenly or human, uh, as a way of expressing that love. But if you're not, if you're, if you're looking to do a gift that's going to make you feel special or make you uh, seem important in the church, that's the wrong motivation. You should be looking, how can I love people better? How can I express faith and hope better? How can I uh, be of blessing and build my brothers up? And that will manifest the Spirit's power. And what he does after that, that's a hidden thing. He'll, he'll decide. There is an openness to receiving these gifts from the yeah. Spirit. But we will not receive them if we're not pursuing faith, hope, and love, and especially love. And back to our conversation from last week, right? You know, like, the, how, do we, how do we discern what our gifts are? Yeah. Well, we get in the church and we, we get around other people. You know, we start loving them and serving them and, and, uh, and, and encouraging them in their own faith. And that conveys an openness of heart to the Spirit's work. And so, you know, as I think about, you know, the, uh, you know should, I, should I expect and should I want to speak in a private prayer language or should I expect to speak in tongues and want to speak in tongues? Paul says at the beginning of verse, uh, chapter 14, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. Now, he says, especially prophecy, which we are going to touch on next week. Mm -hmm. um, I'm looking forward to that discussion. But in the span of 15 verses, at the end of chapter 12 to the beginning of chapter 14, two times Paul says, eagerly desire, the, he says, eagerly desire the greater gifts, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. We should be open to the Spirit. We should yes. be pursuing the Spirit. Um, and, and again, if the spirit hasn't willed to give us certain gifts, that's on the spirit. <laughs> and that's <laughs> yes. up to him. He knows better. He knows what is good for us. He knows how he is going to use us in the body of Christ to build, to build his body up and to push and, other people towards faith, hope, and love. And in, within the context of the, of the gathering of the church, then we need to be constantly making room just kind of what we, we talked about last week. We have to be making room for as many people to be engaged as possible with decently and with good order, as he says in this chapter, but recognizing everybody that comes has something to share, a song, a hymn, a spiritual song. Everybody comes with something from God's spirit that might include a tongue. And if it does, then it'll be, then we'll ha require it to be interpreted because that's what he says needs to happen. But creating space where the diverse gifts of the spirit are at work, that's, that's our responsibility. And that's something that we as an American church have not, not speaking necessarily of North, Northwest, but the American church in general doesn't do a great job of that. We programize every moment. We fill up every space. Um, we hustle people in and out to watch our show. And 
um, that's something we got to fight. It's something we, we, we try to fight at Northwest, but we got to even continue to do a better job of creating space for people to express the love of God in the ways that God has empowered them to do it. So what does this look like at Soma Northwest? It means we're going to practice this biblically first and foremost. Yep. So we're not going to do anything, not going to take any liberties that the scriptures don't allow, but we are going to practice charity in the, in the areas that scripture uh, is not clear about. But at the end of the day, we're going to practice tongues and the interpretation is to, of tongues, just like yeah. the scriptures tell us to practice them. But even more than that, we are still going to be about the purposes of tongues, even if we aren't given the gift of tongues. Yes. Even if we aren't given the gift of tongues, we are to still pray. We are to still praise and sing praises to God. We are still to give thanksgiving to God. We are still to uh, seek out people from different languages and cultures and declare amongst them the, the, the wonders of God. All of these things should still be present in our body, even if we aren't given the gift of tongues. Am Amen. I right, Nate? You are right. Amen. That's, you know, this, is, this has been a really, I don't know what it's been like to listen to, but this has been a really encouraging conversation. And I think I hope that we've come to a place where you realize if you didn't think this was relevant to you, I hope you see now that it actually really is deeply relevant. It is deeply encouraging. Tongues are a, a real way in which the spirit works. And I, you know, I would be excited to see them at work in our body and used to bring God's glory to unbelievers. And I would be excited to see them worked in our body in a way that is interpreted and brings uh, uh, messages and insights from God. I think that that's beautiful because in the end, it's about God expressing his love to the world and to the church through his spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, this is a good place to end it. Um, again, we hope this has been encouraging to you. And as always, we invite more discussion yeah, on this. Um, this isn't obviously meant to be an exhaustive look at any particular topic that we talk about. We want to get, um, we want to, we want to dig in the scriptures. We want to uncover some things, but we also understand that, uh, that this isn't the, the be all end all of teaching discussion, working this thing out. And so we hope that this prompts some good conversations and some good feedback and some good questions. Yeah. And one final note, if you are in the habit of practicing, uh, praying in tongues as a private prayer language, um, I think, you can read first Corinthians 14 for yourself. We, we don't forbid that, right? Like we don't forbid, we don't forbid speaking in tongues. I, I think we've tried to make it as clear as possible what we think the purpose of those gifts are. Um, but if you, if that's something that a practice that you, that you have, um, yeah, I would encourage you to look at first Corinthians 14 and continue to grow in your practice of that and continue to grow in manifesting the spirit and uh, know that you're not forbidden in any way from that because we don't forbid speaking in tongues. We just forbid speaking in tongues without an interpreter in a gathering on Sunday morning. And we do that because Paul makes it pretty clear we're supposed to. Well, thanks, Nate. Thanks for your time. Thank you for listening 
um, to this discussion. Uh, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you and our love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. We'll catch you next time. Goodbye.